Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Everybody's here. That's awesome and accounted for. Wonderful. Uh, did you have a great Thanksgiving? Yes. Yes. Wonderful. Today's the day. This is a public service announcement. PSA for those not in the know. This is a PSA. Um, if you haven't finished all of the leftovers, today is the last day to eat them or throw them in the trash. I'm just saying. Because we're moving on to Christmas. Yes? Yes. And speaking of throwing food in the trash, don't let that slow you down, men. It's okay to eat food out of the trash. I do it all the time. There have been many a day I've left something on the counter longing to get home from work and enjoy it. Even if it has dairy in it, Heather, I don't even care. But my wife will see it and go, that's gross. I need to throw that in the trash, only to find me three hours later digging it out of the trash to eat it. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff, and I'm one of the pastors here. That's a thing. I'm just saying, when Armageddon comes, right, zombie apocalypse or whatever we have in store in the future, and you guys are struggling to survive, I'm eating food out of the trash, and my stomach can handle it, I'm just saying. And you guys are getting sick and just falling down. I'm just, you're welcome for that. So, <laughs> Thanksgiving was wonderful. We are moving into Christmas. Uh, as, as Laramie made mention, um, Christmas is a little different here at Renaissance. We don't really have a big room to have one big Christmas service like around Christmas Eve or so. So we try to just put together a Christmas series for the entire month of December. So starting next week, we're going to jump into our What's This World Coming to Christmas series, which is a real weird name for a Christmas series, isn't it? I know. It's really great. We have a lot of great things we want to share with you. And so please, now's the time to invite friends and family. Don't wait for that last week of December. Just get them here now. Let's, let's teach them um, about the cool church that you attend. Let's teach them about Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, even though they might not know that yet. Just bring them in and we'll, we'll teach them. And we'll take advantage of this Christmas season where we all sort of pause just to cel celebrate the birth of Christ. So um, thank you all for that. This past week, I was thinking about the first time um, I applied for a job. I got a job when I was in high school, like many of you did. And I want to tell you why I got a job when I was in high school. It's because my parents said, get a job, <laughs> right? You, everyone had those parents? Like, I, I'm, a, I'm going into my senior year, and I was able to escape the 16s and 17s without having to get a job. But my parents, in their wisdom, thought it's best if he does get gainfully employed now. We're sick of looking at him laying on the couch all summer, right? So go get a job. And so every day, my parents would come home and say, so did you get a job today? Did you get a job today? And I would respond to them by saying, well, I went to this place, this place, and this place, and I put in my application. 
And it was then that I learned something that I have since used for my own children, my own child reign. I have two teenage daughters of my own. My parents shared something with, with me then that I share with them, and I'll, I'll share, share it with you guys now. My, my parents told me, we didn't ask you to turn in applications. We asked you to get a job. You, you see the subtle difference, right? <laughs> Your job is not turning in applications. Your job is getting a job. And so, you know, and what I learned from them is that, that oftentimes you have to call the employer back after you turn in the application, right? Everyone knows this. Everyone who works in the business world knows that every application that comes in goes into this pile that makes its way to the trash can. Unless a person from this pile calls and says, hey, are you still hiring? Hey, have you seen my resume? And then we just sort of pull the, the, the application out or the resume out and put it in this pile. And it's these people who eventually come back for an interview. It's these people who are truly a potential hire because they're showing what? They're showing some determination. They're showing that they're, they really want a job. They're showing that they are frightened of their parents and they must get a, a job or they're grounded. I mean, they're, they're showing something there. And what I learned, it's, it's the follow-up that is so crucial to a lot of the things in our life, isn't it? Uh, speaking of follow-up, it made me think of when I was first dating my wife, Stacy. We've been married 22 years. That's a thing. And it's a wonderful thing. I'm so happy to be married to her. I was at a wedding renewal yesterday, 40 years. They renewed their vows on their 40th anniversary. I cried like a baby. It was so wonderful. Anyways, I'm dating or stalking, you decide, my, my soon-to-be wife back in the day <laughs> and I used to and I used to like just write her notes you know telling her um you know wax poetic about how beautiful she is and how wonderful she is and how much I loved her and how I just couldn't live without her and and all of this stuff and hey I drove by your house late at night last night and <laughs> I saw your car was home but your lights weren't on so I couldn't couldn't you know what I mean so this is before cell phones where you could text you just had to drive by people's houses to see where they were and stuff and 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 I, I'm the only one? <laughs> I'm the only one? I didn't know. I didn't know. I was the only one. So, but I, I used to just continually tell her that I cared about her. I just repeated it and repeated it. In fact, we found one of my old notes um, behind a picture frame or something not long ago, and I was reading it, and I was embarrassed for myself. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. And I prayed that my children would never see this note. It looks so desperate. My, my, my point in bringing all of this up is I felt like she just needed to be reminded how much I cared for her, how special she was to me. And I'd wrote her a note on Tuesday to follow it up again on Friday. All the, the people who are married know that story, right? Where you, when you were dating and things were much more intentional and, and, and all of that. And I just, there's something about the reminding of sorts that's important to our lives. Something about going back to the same things we already know to be true that's helpful to us. In fact, I was praying this morning that oftentimes in church, it's easy for us as believers to say something like, um, oh, he's preaching that message again. <laughs> I've heard that before. Oh, yep, I like that one, but I've heard it before. I heard it before. I, I need you to know <laughs> it's important that we continue to hear these things again and again and again. Some things just bear the worth of being repeated, much like I love you, sweetheart. I want to be with you, sweetheart. Some of the stories from Scripture just bear being repeated that God loves us, wants to save us. He's give, given us his son that we could be saved from, from judgment and all of that stuff. And, and Peter, and we're going to be reading in 2 Peter today, if you have a Bible with you, 
he, he, he goes back to his, his friends, the ones he calls beloved, and is telling them things again. And he uses the words remind. I want to remind you. I want to remind you. It's the stuff you already know to be true, but let's pay attention to it. So if you have a Bible with you, 2 Peter in chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, if you look underneath the seat around you, you'll find a, a hardback black Bible. Uh, Jack calls it a pew Bible because he's religious. Anyways... <laughs> <laughs> we don't have pews, but you can call it what you want. I don't care. And you can turn to page 1019 in that Bible. Now to get you to 2 Peter, just so you know, it's at the end of your Bible. It's way back here towards the end. And I want to read all of chapter three, and it'll take a, a couple minutes to get through it. Um, we will put the words on the screen. You can follow along there. You're welcome. Um, and then we'll just kind of pick a, a couple things uh, out of this to really encourage um, each of us here. So let's start in verse one. This is Peter writing. This is now the second letter, he says, that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by the way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers or mockers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, he says, and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these the word, sorry, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was then deluged with water and perished. This is the flood, and we'll talk about that. But by the same word, the word that created everything, by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist, they are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact. And Peter's writing to his Christian friends. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. And your Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some of you count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But, verse 10, the day of the Lord will come. It will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 14, therefore, and this is the close of his letter, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul 
also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. That's called shade. Peter's throwing shade on Paul, just saying. That guy writes hard stuff, and if you've ever read the letters of Paul or the writings of Paul, you would agree. Some of his things are really hard to understand. But anyways, continuing in verse 12. But you, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not, that you are not carried away uh, with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. That's a lot of stuff, isn't it? And you guys are wondering, what am I going to talk about? There's a whole lot of rich, gooey stuff in there. Um, I just have a couple things. I'll be honest with you, we could probably spend months in this one passage. Uh, but just a couple things I want to draw our attention towards. Um, and to do that, I never like to move forward without inviting the Holy Spirit to help us. So would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you've given us uh, what you call another helper to come alongside, to help us to understand, to help us to learn from you, to, to direct our hearts towards you. Everything that we need to do to respond, Holy Spirit, can come from you. So God, I just pray that you would help us to understand this passage today. I pray also that we be encouraged in the things that we read. Also, Lord, that you would um, challenge us in some of the things that we read today as well. God, I, I love you. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for all of your people that you have assembled here today. Um, God, may we uh, learn about you and worship you in truth today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. We've been kind of working our way through Second Peter for the past few weeks or so. I just, I just, I needed to pick a book before we hit Christmas season, so I just picked a really short one. We just kind of been working our way through. But there's just been a couple of things that Peter's been reminding them of. He says um, in second, the second chapter a couple weeks ago that there are false teachers and, and people are going to come in amongst the people and they're going to look like they're real teachers teaching the real gospel. They're, they're, they're teaching something else. And he wants to warn them. And by warning them, he, he just reminds them of the truth of the things that they've heard. And Peter, this is his second letter that he's written to them. This is, the, this is time and time again. This is, this is, again, my second letter to Stacy. This is, I want to remind you of something that, that you need to know to be true. And Peter's writing this, and he, he writes to the people that he calls dear friends or beloved here in verse 1. These are, this is not just some strange group of people or strange like uh, people he doesn't know or understand, just a people far away. No, he would, he would probably know most of these people intimately. And he's writing to them so that they would hear his heart and what he's saying. And I love what he says, that he's writing to stir up their sincere mind. Now, I just, like I did a little leap in my office when I was, when I was studying through this because all too often, um, not to sound negative, but all too often, uh, the, sometimes the people in the world can, can look at Christians, and I, I believe there's probably some Christians in the room today, that they can look at Christians and go, oh, those people of faith. Right? They just have faith to believe in this invisible Jesus and this creator God who through his own words created everything that is and, and all of the fables that are in the, that old ancient book they call the Bible and, and those people of faith and this and that. And we are oftentimes criticized for not being intellectual at all. 
Now, I don't say that about you guys, but I'm just saying that we do have a mind that God would desire us to use. And I love that Peter is addressing the mind portion of our salvation, the mind portion of our worship and devotion to God, because it is easy, particularly for me, to just worship through emotion, yes? Oh, the band was killing it today. Did you feel it? Goosebumps, Holy Spirit. I'm just saying. It was awesome, the band's this and that. And oftentimes, we, if we don't have the emotion attached to the worship, then it wasn't as good. I, I would never say you guys say those things, but I've been known to say those things sometimes. And Peter would say, but dude, emotions aside, to be honest with you, listen, faith aside, the gospel preaches to our intellect as well. It preaches to the mind that God has created in us to use to consider some of the heavy things that are in scriptures, some of the difficult things to wrestle through. In fact, there's a whole arm of, of critical thinking called Christian apologetics. Anybody ever heard of Christian apologetics, right? That's for the, the nerds in the room like myself and a few others that just love to sort of debate and critically think through some of these things. And Peter would ask us to engage our minds. He really wants us to. We can be people of faith. Oh, first and foremost, let us be people of faith. But do not mistake that God created you with an intellect. And he created you with critical thinking. And he wants you to consider these things. And for us to just hear this and to walk out and go, meh, meh. When, when, when God moves in the room, I'll worship. When, when things are going well in my life, I'll worship. No, the mind has to recall the promises of God sometimes. When things aren't going so great in your life, when things aren't all paradise on this island, when God's blessings are just showering upon you, you have to willfully choose in your mind to remember the things of God are true regardless of life's circumstance. And Peter's addressing the mind. He says, I wish to stir up your mind. And what a great admonishment and encouragement to all of us too, to stir up your mind by way of reminder that you should remember, verse 2, um, predictions of the holy prophets and, he says, the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Now, just a real quick side note here. Um, the, the predictions of the holy prophets, he's speaking of the Hebrew scriptures. He's, preach, he's speaking of what we would call the Old Testament. And at this time of the writing of this letter, Peter and everyone else would have understood the Old Testament scriptures to have already been understood to have been the word of God. That God spoke to his people through the holy prophets, people like Moses, right, who where we get Genesis, Exodus. Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, people through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Micah, all of those prophets, all that stuff in the Old Testament. He's saying he spoke to us then, and he's saying through the apostles. This is really great. This adds some authority and weight to what we call the New Covenant or the New Testament, which is where Jesus Christ spent time with his disciples teaching them, encouraging them, and then he sends them with apostolic, this is church stuff, I'm sorry, with apostolic authority to go make Christians on the earth, to duplicate yourself, to preach the message of Jesus Christ to other people who don't know it as apostles with authority. And what he's saying is Jesus Christ has taught us, right? And I'm teaching you, and the words that I'm writing are on par with the Old Testament. He's giving some validity to what we would call the New Testament. We also believe, nod with me if you agree, that the New Testament is also the words of God too, yes? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. What kind of church we got here? <laughs> yeah, we believe that. And Peter gives us a little apologetic, right, to understand that. He helps us to understand some of this stuff. And he says, know that there are going to be scoffers or mockers that come in the last days with scoffing. Did you know scoffers come with scoffing? Makes sense. <laughs> right? Use your mind, I'm just saying. And, 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 they, and he says that they're following their own sinful desires. Now, whew, and we're going to open up a whole can of stuff right here. I just... We don't have a whole lot of time, okay? I would love to talk about this stuff at greater length some point in the future. Maybe we'll come back to it. Um, just by way of uh, defining some things here, the last days that, that Peter would be discussing or talking about um, is something we need to understand. Um, when Jesus came the f- to earth in the form of a baby, we'll celebrate that at Christmas, right? He came to earth, uh, he, he grew up, he taught people, gathered some disciples, whatever. He was eventually crucified on a cross, buried in a grave, raised in the third day, right? You know this happy Easter story? And then he ascended back to God in heaven. So that was Jesus' first coming. And there, there is much mention in the Bible about Jesus' second coming. Not I mean, if you've heard of Jesus' second coming, right? right? The last days is that period between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So Peter is talking about the last days of which they are in. And he says that in these last days, mockers will come and they'll say, hmm, where's Jesus at exactly? Because didn't he say he was going to return at some point? Didn't he tell you he would come back at some point? And they, they will say those things. And he says, driven by their own sinful desires. What he's saying is some of these people aren't even motivated by the things of God. In fact, they're using the reality that God has not sent his son back yet to live any way they want to. Because if Jesus is coming back, they would say, we better straighten up. But they firmly believe, right, that he is not coming back and then use that ideology to then live any which way that they want to. Any which way that they want to. And Peter calls them on it. They're living in their sinful desires. And they mock you because you believe that Jesus is going to return. And they say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They begin to speak to the sort of stability that the, the universe or the world is held into. They sort of speak to, listen, the sun rose yesterday and set yesterday. It's going to rise and set again tomorrow and then the next day and the next day. And everything is going on just as it always has. And to think that, these, that the return of God, the return of Jesus to the earth, which then speaks to this um, cataclysmic event, the, the skies uh, melt or whatever he says here, that they're saying we have yet to see this whole thing and we doubt that it could even happen because wasn't yesterday fine and wasn't the day before that fine and since our fathers had fallen asleep, hasn't every day been the same since? And, and Peter, he calls them on it. He says, he says, for verse five, they deliberately overlooked this one fact. And I want to share this fact with you. It's what Peter says. He says that there was a time not long ago when the earth was formed out of nothing, right? God spoke in, right, over the, the face of the deep, over the waters. God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. God created everything out of the waters, right? And through the water, everything was held together. And then God sent, verse 6, 
a deluge of water and people perished and the world perished. So let me just pause real quick and remind you of what Peter's saying here. That for those people who are thinking, oh, God will never, Jesus will never return because the days are always the same, always the same. And they're forgetting that there was a day not long ago when God did judge the earth. And, and you might remember, it's that wonderful bedtime story of Noah and the ark, right? It's that wonderful story where God murdered everyone on the earth. But for Noah, there was a time when things weren't just as they've always been. There was a time when God did judge the wickedness, Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, that God looked on the hearts of men and saw wickedness among them, and he sent a flood to judge the earth. Peter's calling them on that. They're willfully choosing not to believe it. Did you know almost every indigenous people group on the earth has a flood story in their history, if you will? The Mayans can tell of an account of a flood story. A lot of the people groups over in the Middle East can tell of a, a flood story, even if they're not Christians or whatever. There's a, a lot of stuff, which almost points to the fact that there, there, there was a flood that existed a long time ago, and a lot of people talk about it in antiquity. Peter's saying that's the story in Genesis 6, 7, and 8, where God judged the wickedness. Here's what Peter wants us to understand. In the flood, two things stand out. God judges people. Did you know that? God who's holy and just and perfect, he will judge the wicked, the carnal. So we know that. And the second thing is this, is that God also saves people. That he saved Noah, who the Bible tells us found favor in God's sight. It wasn't anything that, that Noah had done to give him favor. It was favor. It was undeserved. It's what grace looks like in our lives. God saved Noah and his family in the ark. And God saves and judges people through the cross too. Did you understand that? That Jesus came to the earth and God judged humanity by punishing Jesus for the sins of the world. That there is a judgment that came through the cross, but also there is salvation that comes through the cross. For those of us who would believe we can be spared the final judgment, we can be spared this stuff. When the day of the Lord, when, when, when Jesus returns, as Peter is arguing here, the wickedness of this earth will be judged. But we can escape that through the cross. We keep reading, he says in verse 6, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Um, to be honest with you, I think a lot of people use that verse incorrectly. And I think a lot of people have used that verse to sort of try to put together an, an end times theology. Anybody under, know the word eschatology? That's kind of fun. Use that at Thanksgiving if you want. Eschatology, right? Or eschatological thoughts, big six syllable words, right? It just speaks about the end times. And, and what they do sometimes is they'll go, well, really a day is but a thousand years. You know, it, it's, it's, it means it's a thousand years. So if we're trying to calculate when Jesus is returning, they start calculating all this stuff. And then they get out their crayon on a napkin. They start writing down the end times. So he's coming back on July 28th of, of whatever year. And they do all that stuff. Peter's just being poetic. He's just saying our time is different than God's time. 
We see time differently than God does. We, we see it as a thousand years, and to him it's but maybe a day, maybe a day and a half. I don't know, but it's not the same for us. And what I think the people that Peter's um, addressing, these false teachers or whatever, they, they sort of abuse this, and they, they begin to, to speak against like, God's motives in everything that he's doing. That Jesus isn't coming back. The world's never going to change. It's always going to be the same. And it's like maybe God doesn't want to send his son back. Or maybe Jesus has changed his mind. And Peter's saying, no, it's just our timing's different than how God sees it. And he goes on, because you want to know the motives of God? This is the motive of Jesus. Look at this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises in verse 9. He's not slow. He's patient. Do you hear the difference? He's patient towards us. He's not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach this thing called repentance. You ever have someone misunderstand or misconstrue your motives? You act a particular way towards a certain people and they begin to, to sort of judge you for acting that way? Gee, Jesus was notoriously getting misunderstood. Notoriously, he would go to Zacchaeus' house for dinner and, and all the, the, the religious leaders begin to question his motives for doing so. What is he trying to say? Jesus is saying, I love this man. He's a sinner, <laughs> right? I'm just gonna have dinner with him. I'm gonna teach him things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help him in some way. And the same can be true oftentimes in the church, that, that the church can have its motives questioned on how it treats people. And we sometimes question God's motives too. And he's telling us, God is just patient with us. He's super patient with us. He's longing for everyone to come to this place or, or should reach repentance. Can I tell you what God's will is for your life? You can ask me, does God want me to marry this person or that person? I have no idea. Pick. Pick one. Don't pick them both. <laughs> right? Am I supposed to buy this house or this house? Should I take that job or move out? Of I don't know. I don't know. We could pray together. Maybe God would share it with you. But I, without praying and using my mind to read the scriptures, I can tell you what God's will is for your life. That you would live a life of repentance. Do you know what repentance means? It just means returning to where God is. It just return to where God is. That, that our lives sometimes cause us to drift over here, drift over here. We begin to chase other things, chase fame, chase family, chase fortune, chase a girl. Right? And God continually pulls us back to where he is in all of that. He says, I wish all of you would reach repentance. But he says in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. And it comes like a thief. It's, it's almost like Peter's repeating some of the words that Jesus even taught the disciples in, I think, Matthew chapter 24. He says that there's this unknown time when it's going to happen. No one can know. He says only God knows. Anyway, so can I be honest with you? Stop trying to figure it out, he would say. Because no one knows when a thief is going to come. No one knows. I mean, they wouldn't be a good thief at that point. They wouldn't be in business long. They were waiting for me again. Gosh darn it. But they come when no one's expecting it. And then there's a whole lot of crazy next. Is this, is this literal language? What Peter's using here, let's read this. 
that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. What? And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed or laid bare. Is he, is he literally saying this, or is this a, uh, an apocryphal or a, 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 a descriptive way to explain what this might look like? Is this, is this analogy? Is this, we, I, I don't know. I don't know. I know some people take this message or this passage of 2 Peter, which I, I do not think is a real eschatological passage. I don't think it's a lot of end time stuff. I think Peter's motive is something else, just to encourage people into the things of Jesus. I don't know that it's so much about, it's, it's like there is a judgment coming and you can be spared from the judgment. I don't, I don't think he's writing a prescriptive way on how this thing is going to lay out for us. That's my opinion and disagree with me if you'd like to, and that's fine. But I think some people misuse this in thinking that. They create doctrines out of this that, that the, 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 the skies have to roar. We have to, we have to hear a sound or something and, and things have to melt and dissolve. I don't know. I just know there's a lot of language in the Bible sometimes that's real descriptive. I don't know if it's, well, all right, I'm moving on because you guys are giving me that look. <laughs> what kind of guy is that up there? I don't, I'm just saying Peter's push here is to be reminded of the things of God that you can be spared the judgment. Okay? How the judgment ensues is, is truly a great conversation, I think, for a different time, and I think with much other biblical passages to support. Yes? F free to move on? Um, thank you. So, since whatever's going to happen is going to happen, <laughs> since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? That's the question that Peter is saying. So I remind you of all these things. Remember, some things are going to come and try to trip you up and knock you down a little bit. But in, in lieu of all the stuff that's going on, the judge is going to, the God is going to judge the earth at some point. What type of people should you be in lives of holiness and godliness? That's, that's what God is calling us towards, in holiness and godliness. And can I share with you, you can't get there on your own. You can't get there on your own. We get there through Christ. We only get there through Christ. I was in my office this morning um, playing some music. You guys play music in, on Sunday mornings? I was doing worship music, not like hip-hop or nothing, but just like, <laughs> oh, that could be worship too, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, I was listening to some worship music, and I have this stuff I call it old school, old school worship, right? Like just a good classic. I'm going to sound like that guy now. The old guy. Just so you know, I was thinking about this. I remember growing up when um, there was no seatbelt law. That's how old I am. I'm just saying. You weren't mandated by the law to wear your seatbelts. In fact, we survived our youth with no seatbelts. I'm just saying. I used to ride in the back of my dad's pickup truck across town. At any moment, I could have jumped out. Maybe that's what he was up to. <laughs> I went around the block twice, Cheryl. He's still in there. I don't know. <laughs> He wouldn't do that, Heather. No. <laughs> Holiness. Godliness. That's what God would call us to. We only have it in Christ. So I'm listening to this song in my office, and it's, it's called, Oh, the Blood, which sounds so weird if you're not a Christian. The blood, you say. And I'm reminded of the words that, um, that I've been cleansed by Jesus' blood. I've been made 
pure and spotless by Jesus' blood. I actually don't remember the lyrics. I'm making these up as I go. And I, I just know, I know the idea behind it because Jesus was willing to shed his blood for me. He's willing to die upon a cross for me. I don't have to, to die for my sins any longer. That by faith, Christ has died for me. And when he was raised from the dead, I can move into the resurrection after my death, not having been judged eternally for that. Because my savior, Jesus, has been judged. Do you understand this? Lives of holiness and godliness come through Christ. What sort of people ought we to be? Holy and godly. Holy and godly. Holy and godly. Can I keep saying that over you? Holy and godly. That's what God desires for us. Holiness. Godliness. And when I stand before that mirror of Scripture, I am bankrupt in myself. It's out of moments like this when I'm listening to this song, reminded of the truth of Scripture, that my heart begins to flutter with adoration and worship towards God. When all of this lays out, when God does what he's going to do, when he is going to do it, whatever all of this looks like and shakes loose to be, you and I live lives of holiness and godliness through Christ. And when we fall short, we return to where he is. We thank him for his gift of salvation and we return to where he is. This... Um, did I mention I went to a wedding renewal yesterday? A little ceremony, it was beautiful, it was right here. I cried, I told you that, right? Making sure. They, they, they were married 40 years. Um, I know them, right? And they would be the first to tell you that those 40 years were not <laughs> roses, so to speak. That there were many difficult times, lots of challenges in that. And yet they always returned to their vows, didn't you? Oh, I'm hearing them recommit them, themselves for another 40 years. He's like, I don't want to be that old. <laughs> Take me now. <laughs> Anyways, he's like, for another 40 years, if God would, would allow them to, to be married again, they would take it. And they, they read these vows and they had a prayer and the whole thing. It was just beautiful. Um, God has been refining them in their marriage for all those years. And I'm telling you, God has been refining us married, unmarried, single, business owners, children, college students, unemployed. God is, is refining us through the processes of our lives always. There's always something that's going to press on you a little bit, make you feel a little uncomfortable. I would say this, that God wants to be the, the God of those situations too, not just the God of when things are great. You, you, know, you know those type of people, right? When everything's great, they get on Facebook, and God's blessing me. God, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm like, I had no idea they were Christians. And then when things fall apart, then their real person comes out. You know, expletive, expletive. God wants to be the God of those difficult situations too. And he can use all of those to refine us. I'm running out of time. What sort of, sort of people ought you to be? Verse 11 
in lives of holiness and godliness. He, verse 14, 15, 16, he starts talking about Paul, and we kind of giggled about that. Some, some of the writings of Paul are difficult to understand. That's fine, but let's finish here in verse 17. He says, so at the end of my letter, you, my beloved, my dear friends, my, my, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, know this beforehand. Take care that you're not carried away with error of the lawless people and lose your own stability. Stay true to the message of Jesus. Don't get caught in some of these secondary, I don't I won't call them secondary, they're real arguments, but don't get, don't get lost in some of these other arguments where the false teachers come in and mockers come in and challenge you. But grow, he says, verse 18, in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity, amen. Because it is Christ who gets the glory in all of this. Um, it is a mature believer who understands that our lives lived here on this earth um, as God blesses and encourages and does all the things that he does, that our lives are not unto ourselves but really unto Christ. That our lives are beacons, if you will, of the glory of who God is in, in all things. In all things, it is, it is to Christ that all glory lives. It is to Christ that all glory dwells. It is to Christ that all glory belongs. It, it's never for us, which is a very difficult thing to get. But maturity in, in Christian living shows that. When things really begin to... Um, when you really have an opportunity to, to take the glory for yourself and how great you are and how wonderful things are working or how wonderful this church is growing or whatever, whenever you begin to take those things onto yourself, you're, you're stealing them from Jesus because they belong to him. So, um, so how do we, what now? What now? I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to pray for us. I'd like to ask God to come into the room and to do things that only God can do. This morning I was praying and I was like, God, you heal people, right? I mean, he said yes. Of course he said yes. Yeah, he does. Did you know that? That God still heals people. I said, okay, you're the healer. So why don't you come heal some people today? That'd be wonderful. How great would that be? For those of you who are sick, may God come and heal you today. For, for those of you who are lost, to use that sort of understanding that you haven't found your way in life, may God use Jesus Christ, our, our lighthouse, to draw you to himself, and may you find salvation today. For those of you who are discouraged, may God come and encourage you today. See, I could try to tie this all up a little pithy, whatever, to be frank, I'm not good at that stuff. I'm not. I find it's best if, if I get out of the way and let God just come in and talk to you. I suspect there's a few things in this passage that sort of pricked you a little bit, that sort of stuck out to you in a good or bad way. Then take those things to meditation and to prayer. And when the band returns and we go back into worship, just lay those before God. Does that make sense? All right. I'm done talking. I'm out of time. Um, let's pray together. God, I pray that, again, your Holy Spirit would come. Uh, I've already invited you here, uh, but I, I'm, you know, Bible says where two or three are gathered, I'm in their midst. I know that's true, but I also would like to invite you to be a part of our midst. 
Not just that you show up like Uncle Steve at Thanksgiving, but we really want you here, God. We're desperate to have you here. We gather today to encounter who you are, that you would speak to the things of our life. God, bubble up inside of our hearts true worship, true honor to your son, Jesus. Thank you for the writings of Peter. God, we ask that you bless our time together. God, as we prepare to move into our Christmas series, would you, would you prepare our hearts to be thankful for um, the birth of your son, Jesus, a true celebratory event. God, we thank you for everything that you've done, and I pray that you minister to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together, we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.